This is Making Shift Happen, and I'm your host, Jen Cates. Over the years, I've coached hundreds of clients to find their ideal self through the way they nourish their bodies and minds, and now I'm here to help pass on these same strategies to you. So let's stop the madness and get your results once and for all. Let's go. Hello, friends. Welcome to the next episode of Making Shift Happen. Today, we're talking about how to reduce your fatigue in downhill biking because, hey, it's park season. It's bike park season. And if you enjoy doing downhill, now is your time. Summer is, of course, peak time for park season. And, you know, it's a lot of fun, especially when you're on the right bike, which, of course, is one of the things that I'll outline. But all too often, I hear of folks coming to me and, and, and explaining how they're just a little bit more fatigued. They might just feel tired. They feel like they can only do a few runs and they kind of want to call it a day, you know? And, and that of course is bittersweet because you're spending all of this money on a park pass for the season or a day pass for that particular day. And they're not exactly cheap anymore. I mean, I, I remember when park passes used to be like 50 bucks, $75 or so. And, uh, season passes were much cheaper than uh, ski passes and things like that. But now I feel like rates have gone up. Uh, obvious reasons, you know, the pandemic did play a role in that. But, you know, a lot of these resorts are doing uh, some combining of resources, I should say, or acquisitions. And that, of course, is expensive. So they are relaying the cost to us, the consumer. And uh, capitalism at, at its best, right, friends? But with downhill biking, regardless of how many runs you can get in, I want you to be able to experience like pleasant runs. Like I want you to have fun while you're out riding your bike on the downhill runs. And these are going to be the five ways that you can kind of focus on eliminating or at least reducing your fatigue. Okay. And and that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today. Just these five things. All right, let's dive in. First thing, nutrition, of course. Nutrition is going to be the foundation of a lot of things here. And with nutrition, I do want to link nutrition and recovery together under one umbrella here. Because nutrition and sleep and sleeping effectively and long enough and having sound sleep, that those two things are going to play such a huge role whether you're focusing on your fatigue and downhill biking or anything else. It doesn't really matter. These two things are going to play a magnificent role. And with nutrition, I want you to ask yourself these questions, okay? Did you eat a balanced meal beforehand, you know? With this, aiming aiming to eat a balanced meal about two to three hours before you hit the trails, that's going to be ideal in terms of making sure that you have ample fuel. And then right before you hit the trails, maybe having something that's a little bit more carb-specific. And when I say a balanced meal, I mean something with protein, carbs, um, you know, a little bit of fats, things like that, like a truly balanced meal. And if you need to learn more about that, hey, I've got tons of other episodes that I'm, I'll see if I can remember to link them in the show notes here, um, just talking about what to eat while you're biking before and after, before, during, and after you're biking. So I'll link them in the show notes. Um, but it all starts with you having a balanced meal a couple of hours before you actually hit the slopes or hit, hit the trails rather. Now, on top of that, you want to also make sure that you're snacking regularly once you're doing your downhill runs. So with this, I really like to suggest that folks aim to snack every 60 minutes at a minimum, 
That's usually ideal for most people. Generally speaking, you want to try to aim to replenish about 50% of the calories that you burn every hour. For some people, that might be about 40% to 60 or 70, even 75% of the calories that they burn every hour. Now, of course, the one of the only ways that you can really figure out how many calories you burn in an hour is if you do have a wearable device. So like Garmin watch, an Apple watch, something like that. Now, I know that most people are, of course, wearing those watches now, or not most, but many people are wearing these watches right now. But if you're not, if you don't have a wearable device, rule of thumb is anywhere between 30 to 60 grams of carbs per hour is generally what you're going to need for ample replenishment of your fuel. This is going to help prevent you from bonking. This is going to give you more energy and the key here is try to do that every hour that you're on the bike, every hour that you're active, okay? Because even though you're going downhill, you're still you're still expending some energy. You're still having to keep yourself upright. You're still having to keep your you know the rubber side down on your bike, and that is definitely going to take some energy and effort on your part. So please don't negate your effort because you're going downhill and kind of like you know brush it under the rug or whatever, sweep it under the rug and think nothing of it. No, friends. Even though you're going downhill, you're still requiring a lot of energy on your part. Also consider the brain energy that you're using for downhill riding because you're going at a much faster speed than you generally would with cross country or any other type of, uh, you know, riding. Of course, nothing against cross our cross country, uh, brothers and sisters, but you know, you're using your brain a lot because you're, you're thinking at a faster pace. You're going at a faster pace because your safety, you're trying to keep yourself safe. You're trying to keep yourself, you know, uh, this side of the ground. (laughs) All right. And that is going to use some brain power there. All right. So first things first, think about nutrition next, of course, with that, I want you to think about recovery. So thinking about sleep, like, Hey, did you sleep ample amount the night before? Are you getting about seven hours ideally, uh, at a minimum, you know, before you actually, the night before you actually hit the slopes. Great. Because that is going to be something that will help you get rest and recovery. All right. We're only as strong as we're rested and recovered. We have to remember that. All right. Um, and I know, you know, getting more sleep. Yeah. It's not sexy. Like there's nothing sexy about that at all. Uh, a lot of people, you know, I get a lot of eye rolls and I understand because yeah, this is not a magic pill that I'm asking you to swallow. That's going to resolve everything in a moment's notice. But here's the thing. Getting ample sleep is the magic pill. All right. I know personally, I notice how much of a monster I am and and how like just dead I feel inside when I'm not getting ample sleep. And, and believe me, I used to think that I was the type of person who could survive on, you know, five hours of sleep regularly. And it's just not the case. There's like, I think it's like less than 1% of the population can survive adequately and function adequately on five hours or less of night of sleep. So uh, or maybe it's even six hours or less. I'm forgetting the, the, the statistic right now off the top of my head. Uh, something I used to know, like the back of my hand, but not anymore. So yeah, nutrition, sleep, AKA recovery, consider these things, make sure you're optimizing them as best as possible. Make sure that you're staying on top of your snacks. Now, another thing I did want to talk about with snacks and something to consider is, especially in a downhill park, you know, a lot of times there's going to be like the little cantina or something like that at the, at the bottom of the slopes. And if that's what you're eating, that's great. But if you're also having a couple of margaritas or beer or something like that in the middle of the day, when you are riding, 
that can impact your fatigue levels as well because alcohol is a depressant. It is going to slow your response, um, you know, your time to respond and things like that on the bike. So it can also be a safety issue as well, but I'm not going to, you know, sit here on my soapbox and talk about morality. I just want you to consider that alcohol can depress your energy a little bit more than you think, or more than you want to acknowledge. All right, let's put it that way. Maybe more than you want to admit. Now, speaking of alcohol, the next thing I want you to think about, number two, all right, so first thing, nutrition, sleep, recovery. Second thing, hydration. Alcohol is not hydrating. There's nothing hydrating about alcohol. So that's another thing to consider is if you are enjoying some, some, you know, adult beverages, especially in the afternoon, maybe in between, um, you know, your breakfast and dinner, you're having a lunch at the mountain, have a beer in the back of your car, or maybe, you know, maybe at the restaurant at the the bottom of the the mountain, that's going to impact your overall hydration. All right. So I want you to ask yourself, Hey, are you staying hydrated? Did you start off hydrated? Have you been hydrated for most of the week so far? Because your hydration doesn't even just depend on that particular day. It also depends on the previous days prior to that. Usually that week, you know, those few days that are flanking that day that you're in the present moment, those days before that are going to impact your hydration. Okay. So think about those things. And if you're, if you're at elevation, then your body is going to demand not only more calories, so you have more things to consider for for number one with food and nutrition, but being at elevation is also going to demand that you stay hydrated, okay? It is going to be usually a drier, more arid climate when you're at elevation, so you want to make sure that you're staying hydrated. The rule of thumb for hydration is to aim to consume at least 50% of your body weight in pounds. So take your body weight in pounds, cut it in half, divide by two, whatever you need to do. Uh, and then that is how many ounces at a minimum you should try to consume in a day. So an example, if you're 150 pounds, great. Then you're going to try to aim for about 75 ounces of water a day at a minimum. The key here is that this is a minimum. All right. So please remember that. Because every hour of activity or heavy breathing or just being outside in the heat, uh, being in those downhill clothes, especially if you're wearing a chest plate and things like that and a little bit more gear and armor, that's going to require you're sweating a little bit more and because your, your body's trying to stay cool and sweating is a cooling mechanism if you caught one of my previous episodes on heat and acclimating to that. So every hour of activity, including if you're going downhill, that's going to require another 12 to 20 ounces of fluids in addition to that minimum. So in addition to that 75 ounce example that I gave you for someone who weighs 150 pounds, you're going to have to say, okay, great. I was out for three hours, four hours or so, and I need at least 12 to 20 ounces of fluids on top of that. And that doesn't include beer. All right. Sorry, friend. Uh, But that does include water and electrolytes possibly. So you know, you have to be sure to add that in, you know, that's up upwards of an extra, you know, 60 ounces sometimes, uh, for folks in a, in a given day. So just something to think about. All right. With that being said, talking about hydration, I do want you to consider electrolytes every day as well, but especially on warmer days when you're sweating more, wearing the, the body armor and, you know, full face helmet and things like that. And also on colder days when you're breathing a little bit heavier. And especially if you're at elevation, because you can lose, you can lose your body water in many, many ways, of course, but please beware of, of these two extremes, because these two extremes are sometimes underrated by a lot of folks, including myself sometimes. 
And those extremes can play a role in demanding more of your body and demanding that you do get more hydration. So please be mindful of hydration as well. All right, so the third thing to consider in regards to fatigue on on the bike, especially in the downhill position, is your position on the bike, period. All right, all too often I see folks, especially at a downhill park, they're just in the ready position for way too long. And the ready position is that attack position that you're in on the bike. So you're on the bike, pedals are level, chins over your stem, your arms are your your arms are basically bent, your elbows are bent, and they're out to the side or a little bit further back, and you're hinging at your hips, all right? And, and your knees are kind of bent and they're low and wide. You as a human are low and wide on your bike. So that's the ready or attack position. And all too often I see people going downhill and they're only in that position a hundred percent of the time or almost a hundred percent of the time that they're riding downhill. That shit's going to be exhausting. I'm sorry, friend, but that's just tiring. This is why the neutral position is going to be incredibly important. And it is so underutilized from what I see at the, at the downhill park. This neutral position is when you're tall and red and relaxed. So you're the opposite of the ready or attack position. You're tall and relaxed. Your pedals are still level. Your knees are just slightly bent. They're just soft. They're just soft. Kind of like you're just standing there on, on top of your bike. And you're tall. You're not hinging at the hips, bent over your bike. Instead, you're tall. You're looking ahead. You're relaxing. All right. This is where you're saving your energy. And that's going to be incredibly important because, hey, we're talking about saving fatigue or, or feeling fatigue in the downhill and how to prevent that and how to reduce that. And this is one of the ways that can be such a game changer for folks and can have you, you know, have a little bit less back pain, low back pain and things like that. So when you're in the neutral position, of course, I'm not asking you to go downhill in the neutral position, but we all probably know those little sections and pockets on those downhill trails where you have a little bit of dead ground, where it's just flat, right? There's nothing technical. There's nothing that is super swoopy. You can just kind of chill, all right? And that's when you can get in that neutral stance and give your body just a few seconds of break, even if it's just a couple seconds of a break. The other thing too, and, and of course now this I do see quite often, is people using the pumps that are that are built into downhill trails and they're pumping their body on top of those trails or they're pumping their body and bike on top of those trails. And that pumping action, when you are going in that neutral position at the top of those little jumps or little hills, uh, little rollers, when you're when you're in that neutral position at the top, utilize that. Hang out there for a second while, you know, before you get into the ready position to utilize that pump again. So Positioning on the bike is incredibly important, and this can make a big difference with low back and any types of aches and pains that you might have, especially in your elbow and neck and things like that. So positioning on the bike, third thing, that is the third thing to think about here. Now, of course, the fourth thing kind of goes hand in hand with that, but not really. Um, but it's that the bike doesn't fit you properly. You know, it, chances are if you're reaching too far or are just too crammed in the cockpit of your bike, then you can experience hand or foot numbness or body aches and pains. And that, that shit's fatiguing. Like that's exhausting to feel those things. And these won't necessarily feel like fatigue, however, but I did want to bring them up also since they're important to consider. And, and because honestly, it's just important to be on a bike that fits you. All right. Because then you can really get you can generate the power that you need from the bike, which is what something I'll talk about in the next thing. Um, but when you're on a bike that fits you, you're just going to function better. You're going to perform better. You're just going to feel better, period. 
But I do want you to think that, you know, if you are experiencing any hand or foot numbness or any body aches and pains, that can also indicate that you might just not be on a bike that can fit you properly. So just see if you can either get a professional bike fitting or even check out some YouTube videos and at least do the bare minimum of, of things because the bike shop, even if you have a new bike and you bought it from the bike shop, the bike shops, not necessarily, they're not responsible for putting you or fitting you on the bike properly. They're just responsible for setting the bike up initially for you. And it's just their initial setup is very rudimentary. So it's please, please know it's not going to be like a bike fitting. All right. Cause I hear it all too often. Well, have you gotten a bike fit? And the first response people tell me is, well, I just bought it at the bike shop and they, they put me on it and they fit me on it. And I'm like, eh, that's not the same, you know, and, and we don't know what we don't know. And that's why I wanted to say something uh, today, because I think it's a really important thing to consider. Bike fittings, they're not cheap. I've talked about it in previous episodes. They're certainly not cheap, but they're definitely worth every every penny. Um, but again, if you can't afford that, check out some free videos on YouTube. Um, I know there's some various bike fit companies that do have things that are on there, as well as just like, you know, GMB and things like that. Like they all have really good videos that talk about like how to get at least a basic bike fitting on there. All right. All right. Last but not least, and this is probably one of the most important other than the strength and recovery or the, uh, the nutrition and recovery and that's strength training. All right. Strength training is so paramount to having less fatigue because the more, the stronger you are, the better you're going to be able to perform just period. All right. If you're, if your grip is feeling overly fatigued, for example, or your low back is maybe screaming at you at the end of the day, uh, or maybe even you find your, your quads, your, your thighs burn a little bit more when you're doing downhill because of your position, then you know what? Strength training could be a, a fantastic addition to your training off the bike. And I know for me, I find as a coach, I find that on during the several weeks before bike season technically starts for most of my clients, and also while bike season is in full swing, that's usually the best time to program higher rep movements with a lighter or more moderate weight in order to help build muscular endurance, okay? You know, during the, the fall and winter, I'm really trying to utilize increasing strength. So that's when we're going to be doing a little bit less reps, especially for those big movements like deadlifts and, and squats and pressing and things like that. We're going to be doing less move, less reps or repetitions of those particular movements, but higher weight because we are trying to increase our, our strength overall during the fall and winter. But in late winter, early spring, you know, right before things start to melt and things like that, that's what I'm really trying to elicit or trying to include um, higher rep schemes with some of these movements, especially the, the traditionally heavier movements like the squats and deadlifts and presses and things like that. And, you know, I find that that is just going to be best to help build what's called muscular endurance. And muscular endurance basically, I mean, in, in, you know, just basic terms, it allows your body to perform many reps of something with less fatigue, all right? And this can include being in a static position on your bike, for example, for an extended period of time. So when you're going downhill, all right? So perfect example, or when you're at the pump track and things like that, you know, something that involves you doing higher rep stuff for a certain period of time. And downhill riding is a perfect example of that. And even just mountain biking is a perfect example of that because of the constant pedaling that we're doing for hours on end, right? Depending on our trail selection, of course. 
So things that I like to consider, and I broke this down into, let's see, like five different groups here in my notes. Okay. So first things first, grip, grip strength movements. I like to include things like carries and deadlifts, especially like Romanian deadlifts, because those are the type of deadlifts you don't take back all the way to the ground and get some rest. (laughs) So you're actually holding the barbell or dumbbells or kettlebells, whatever you choose for a little bit longer. And all too often, you know, for me, my own training and also my athletes, they'll constantly say, and they'll comment on their workouts. They're like, damn it, Jen. I, you know, my grip gave out before my hamstrings or my glutes or my low back. And that's on purpose because I'm really trying to work grip and I'm trying to sneak grip in grip strength in with just regular movements and regular, regular things that they're usually doing, but it's just a different variation. I know I'm such a sneaky little asshole. Um, but seriously, grip strength movements, uh, like carries are going to be really, really good as well. So think of things like farmer's carries, suitcase carries, even overhead carries. I don't usually program that, especially in tread strong, just because everyone, you know, they have different limitations with their shoulder mobility and overhead mobility, especially, but you know, even just front rack carries and, and anything that involves you gripping an object like a kettlebell or a dumbbell or a barbell for an extended period of time. And you're either marching it out, you're walking it, or you're just holding it. Now, in, instead of just doing a full grip, too, like you normally would on a dumbbell and a kettlebell, you know, bringing your thumb all the way around and you're grabbing something that's like a cylindrical. I want you to also think about pinch gripping, you know, and and like varying your grip a little bit. So you kind of have to attack it almost like a rock climber and rock climbers are notorious for doing various grip work. You know, they'll, they'll hang from like these little balls that they, that they hang from a pull-up structure or they'll, they'll have a grip board that they're doing or a fingerboard that they're doing above their door at their house. And I mean, we all probably know at least one rock climber in their, in our lives. Um, but they're always working their grip and that's because their grip is their life. You know, literally they're hanging on to the mountain with their grip for us. Of course, it's a little bit different, but it is a point of contact. That's incredibly important on the bike because this is going to be the point of contact that allows us to steer, to control our bike, to break our bike and not break our bike, but to slow down our bike, I should say, cause I don't want you to break your bike, but to slow down our bike and things like that. So you want to be able to have a really strong grip and, There are some recent studies that have shown that a strong grip sometimes is connected to longevity, what they're finding. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting. All right. Second part to think about, you know, in terms of like strength and muscular endurance, things like that, are your core and low back. And of course, I like to think of the low back as part of your core because it is in your trunk area. And I do, however, want you to think about core and low back strength differently. Like it's not just We're not just doing crunches, okay? Crunches are great and sit-ups are great, but that's just your flexion. You know, you just flexing uh, your core. But I want you to also think about low back extensions like superwomans, aka supermans. Hey, I call them superwomans. I call them what they are, right? Um, Think think of low back extensions, GHD extensions, you know, uh, any type of back extensions, hip extensions. And then also think about different planes of movement. So I want you to think about twists, and rotations. Think about things like chops, doing varieties of chops, doing anything in that twisting movement is really going to help because this is what helps you with your rotation on the bike. This is what's going to help you with those bermed curves and those corners and things like that. Okay. And then also think about planks. Planks are just so vast. Like there's so many different varieties of planks to consider 
And there's so many different versions that you can do. Like you could probably do a different variety of plank every day of the month at a minimum. I mean, 30, come on, 30, 31 varieties. Oh yeah, that's easy. There's probably even more than that though, especially when you start to include like bands and weights and things like that with your planks. Oh my God, there's so many different planks. I get really excited about planks. Like there's just so many different types of planks and you can make them as hard as you freaking want to because, oh my God, you know, like try to do a plank where your feet are elevated on a bench and your hands are down on the ground and you're, you know, planking in that position, which puts a lot more pressure on your hands and your upper body. So just things like that. Um, all right. Third part of your body to consider is upper back movements. Things like rows, uh, all the row varieties. We're talking seal rows, you know, bent over rows, uh, things like reverse flies and renegade rows, face pulls, uh, bandit pull aparts, um, lat pull downs. Oh, and of course my all time favorites, pull ups. I, I'm a big pull up fan. I love pull ups. I know I have a few clients, even in the shred strong program who are like, can I work on pull ups? So I've actually like started to include, um, pull up structure in that, in that programming. I'm also a big fan of barbell rows. If you have a barbell, you know, any type of bent over barbell row or especially penlay rows. I love penlay rows. It's just a variety of a bent over, over row with a barbell. Things like that are going to be crucial for building that, that back musculature that you need. Because guess what? Think about what you do on the bike when you're in that ready or attack position. You're bent over. You're pumping that bike. You're pulling that bike to you and away from you. You're pushing it away. So having that pulling and pushing strength is going to be incredibly important, right? So next, I want you to also think about leg strength and endurance. You know, that, that can include, of course, the good old lunge or the good old squat and some glute work like, you know, of course there's like things like the basic bridge, uh, hip thrusts and things like that. But then think about things like abductor kickbacks, you know, when you're working your glute differently at an angle, um, or inner thigh stuff like Copenhagen planks, that's going to be really important. And I talk about it time and time again, but working on those adductors or, you know, inside of your thighs quads are going to be really important for just making sure that you're able to have that stability in your knee, uh, on and off the bike. Now, some other things you can do for your squatting and, and, you know, knee and, and leg strength overall is of course deadlifts, like I talked about earlier. Um, but you can do things like a wall sit hold, you know, hold a wall sit for a certain period of time. And that can really help. It's isometric, but that can really help you build the ability to be in that position, to be in that ready position for a period of time, all right? It's going to play such a role in how comfortable your legs are when you're in that squatted position for a period of time, okay? Another thing to consider is just for varying the type of squat that you do, all right? Yeah, there's regular squats. I'm a real big fan of, you know, front squats personally, because that's just going to work uh, your position a little bit better, I find, and it's going to be a little bit more comfortable for most people who maybe have an experience with low back pain, things like that. I start almost every program with, oh God, I dare I say like 100% of my clients, uh, depending on their like experience and things like that. I'll usually start them off with front squats. And of course, this is dependent on if they do have like any wrist mobility issues or like, you know, maybe they broke their wrist in a, in a previous life or, you know, in their current life, but just a few years ago, or maybe it's a recent injury. And it's something that you really should consider because front squats can impact your, 
your wrist mobility or your wrist mobility rather can impact your front squats. But front squats are one of my favorite variations um, because you're technically not squatting as much as you would with a traditional back squat when you have the weight more on your back. But the front squat is just going to be, is going to be just as effective, you know, and it's really going to help you get into that position. It's going to help you with your ankle mobility and it's just going to also work your core just a little bit more. I mean, back squat works your core a lot as well, but I find the front squat can just be more comfortable too for most people. And that's what I'm usually going for because I don't want to program things that are just going to cause some aches and pains. Instead, I want to program I want to program movements that empower my clients and my athletes. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I vary the types of squats that we do. So we'll start off with front squat. We usually go into pause front squats. So that's something else you can do is you can add a pause, which means you're going down into a squat and you're hanging on the bottom of that squat, whatever the bottom of the squat looks like to you. Maybe it's to a box and you're just kind of touching your butt to that box or bench slightly, but you're, you're hanging out for three to five seconds, or maybe you're doing an eccentric to that bottom of your squat. Anything like that is really what's going to help you with that leg fatigue that you might feel when you're doing downhill, okay? Lunges are also really gonna help. ATG squats or lunges, that's really gonna help, especially if you do have a history of like some knee pain and things like that. Um, There's so many things that you can do. Another thing that I'm a real big fan on, a fan of rather, are weighted step-ups and eccentric step-downs. Those can be huge game changers as well for a lot of people. All right, so leg strength, it's going to be incredibly important and it doesn't have to only include squats. Like there's so many different variations as well. So, and even lunges alone, lunges alone, I mean, there's a multitude of variations. There's reverse lunges, there's, which are usually, reverse lunges are usually more favorable for folks who do have knee pain and some hip issues. So reverse lunges are always my first go-to. And then we progress from there. You know, we get into front lunges or forward lunges rather, and then eventually walking lunges and then eventually weighted walking lunges and then eventually other things, you know? So you can also elevate your feet and do split squats, uh, which is variation of a lunge. And I mean, there's so many variations. And I, I just don't want to talk about them all during this episode. This is just to give you an idea and get you started. And then last but not least with strength training is don't forget to build your power. If you're jump, if you're jumping and dropping your bike on at the downhill park, then it's best to have a more powerful body, period. All right. This means that your body is able to elicit power or overcome resistance more easily. So like with how you consider with how you, um, execute a jump and also land your bike. You know, those are things that are going to demand power on, on your body's part. Okay. Power equals force times velocity. Hopefully I got that equation right. I mean, it's, it's kind of ingrained in my brain, but sometimes I doubt myself, but no force. It does. It does. It equals P equals F times V. So power equals force times velocity. Uh, hey, you got to laugh at yourself, friend. Um, so that means that the more strength you have to apply force, the better and more powerful you can be on the bike and off the bike, of course. Now to do this, plyometric training is incredibly important. And I'll link that episode to that, uh, in my show notes, cause I did talk about plyometric training just a few weeks ago. So I'll link that in the show notes, check that out if you haven't heard or listened to that yet. But for the sake of this episode, I want you to think about power training as being things that are plyometric, um, things like squat jumps, depth jumps, box jumps, altitude jumps, 
broad jumps, uh, kettlebell swings, kettlebell swings, dumbbell swings, anything that's going to require you to open, close and open your hips with power and, you know, squeeze your butt a little bit. Uh, I don't like to say squeeze your butt a little bit because sometimes that makes people overextend and and that's just not necessary. But think about opening and closing, closing and opening your hips just quickly. And that's really what's going to be the difference with power here. Uh, So kettlebell swings, you know, it's one of those like little under the radar movements that is so good for power. Uh, Push press, cleans, all right, eventually when you get into cleans and, and push jerks or just jerks, split jerks. And then, of course, snatches, whether that's a dumbbell snatch, barbell snatch, kettlebell snatch, doesn't matter. Any type of snatch. Because again, you're you're closing your hip and then you're opening them really quickly. Think about what you're doing during jump and while you're dropping your bike off a of land. Off a of landing, rather. Or landing your bike off a of drop, rather. I'm backwards. But you know what I mean. Like your, your, your hips are so incredibly important. That's where power is generated because that you know, lumbopelvic region is where we can generate our power. All right. So friends, if you consider these five things in your training, then your experience at the downhill park will be so much better. And you're going to find that you can go for more miles with less aches and fatigue overall. You know, examples, examples of this include so many of my damn shred strong athletes who God, they can ride upwards of like 40 miles at the downhill park in a single day and still feel like they can go even further. And of course that does include our lifts, but I mean, compared to other people who are doing like maybe 10 to 20 miles or so, um, it's really remarkable that they can go so far and just feel really good. Of course they feel tired at the end of the day, like they're, they're ready to eat and go to bed, but they're doing such a good job in terms of you know, feeling less fatigued. And that I think is what is so telling to the impact that training can have on this strength training can have on this. And this is because they, they fuel effectively, they stay hydrated. They're pro, you know, they're trying to practice being in the correct position on the bikes. We talk about that in shred strong. And then also they strength train with, with my program and, you know, and they show up. That's so key. But they're only only an example, all right? And you know, you you're only limited by the amount of time that you can dedicate to your training. So I hope that you can get out there and make some shifts in how you train for your time at the downhill park. All right. If you're interested in coaching or training with me, then tap the link in the show notes to apply to work with me, or you can learn about my Shred Strong program using the link there as well. Here's to you having a beautiful day doing the damn thing and getting less fatigued on your downhill days. Keep rocking it, friend. See you next week.